I suggest that we can prove the existence of God from the impossibility of the contrary. As Christians, we do not give up our intellect. The strongest evidence and argument for the existence of God is that without a belief in God, you can't prove anything. How can the law be material? That's the question I'm going to ask you. I would say no. And can you give me an example of anything other than God that's immaterial? Welcome to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. I'm your host, Elias Ayala, and here at Revealed Apologetics, Our goal is to equip believers to defend the Christian faith, and we want to equip you to do it in a way that is honoring to God and faithful to Scripture. So sit back, relax, get your thinking caps on, and let's dive into our topic for today. Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. This is uh, my first episode of 2020. Uh, Oh my goodness. I cannot believe it is the year 2020. I remember... Uh, when I was in second grade looking out the window after taking a math quiz and I thought about the future and I I asked myself, I wonder what the world's going to be like in the year 2000. And of course, my conception of the year 2000 was uh, flying cars and uh, spaceships, kind of like Star Wars, you know, jumping from, you know, star system to star system. Uh, But here we are, uh, the year 2020. Uh, technology has advanced quite a bit since then, uh, since when I was a little kid, and uh, and here we are. So, uh, pretty exciting. Well, uh, let's get that out of the way. I am here in my house. I have my microphone set up, and uh, I'm ready to go. Um, and um, I'm really happy right now because I am up before my family. This is when I, I usually have time to, to record these. And I have my cup of coffee, and I don't know about you, but when you wake up in the morning and you're tired, that cup of coffee just revives you like nothing else. So I, I woke up um, around 5 in the morning, and I went for a nice walk. I was listening to um, actually a really interesting book by Michael Heiser um, called The Unseen Realm. Uh, so if you're interested in reading something about the supernatural worldview of, of the Bible, uh, that's an interesting read. Um, so I've been enjoying that so far, um, and I kind of woke myself up. It's nice and brisk here in, in on Long Island, New York, and uh, and now I'm back inside. My family's still sleeping. I have my cup of coffee, and all is well. <laughs> all right. Well, um, anyway, let's get let's get to the topic for today. Today, I want to talk about what's called religious syncretism. Religious syncretism. What is it, um, and why is it a threat? I think this is a threat. Uh, to Christians today, it has been a threat to Christians throughout um, church history and biblical history, and um, I think it's it's a, a topic worth talking about, especially if we desire 
to have the lordship of Christ over all aspects of our lives, especially our thinking. I think the church today runs a very high risk of adopting non-Christian mindsets within you know, the household of faith, uh, thus distorting true Christian thinking, thinking that's grounded in the scriptures. And so we need to be very careful uh, with this idea of syncretism. So let me define my terms. Syncretism is uh, the process by which aspects of one religion are kind of assimilated into or blended with another religion. The assimilation between them fundamentally changed both of them. And the threat of syncretism, I think, when we look at history, has been with the church since its conception. The temptation to, to intertwine unbelieving philosophical thought with biblical principles was constant within a context where syncretism was really the norm um, in the ancient world. And, of course, we have this idea today um, as well. Rome, for example, often mixed religious themes and borrowed deities from other religious perspectives. And a good example of this um, is how Rome borrowed deities from, from the Greek pantheon and kind of just gave them different names. Okay, So this idea of syncretism was, was quite normal. Um, the Jews and the early Christians were really frowned upon uh, by the surrounding nations and surrounding religious perspectives. Uh, they were really frowned upon and disdained for their what seemed to be an apparent arrogance in thinking that, that there was one true God, right, which created all other things. And, and the worship of local deities was quite common in the ancient world. And, and it was the height of arrogance, it seemed, to suggest that all other deities were false and empty, powerless idols. But, of course, the one true God of Israel, that's the, that's the, you know, the real God, right? And all these other ones are false. How arrogant, right? Um, however, I think the worship and practice of the pagan culture around about the church often had an interesting allure about it, right? That caused some to adopt and syncretize paganism within uh, the Christian system of thought. And, and we see this syncretism most pronounced in the adoption of uh, Greek philosophical thought categories. You see this throughout the development of the, the early church. And then uh, as Christianity expands and becomes more solidified in the culture, there is this, for, this kind of syncretism that, that happened that the church had to protect against. All right. Uh, very, very interesting. If, if you're not aware of the development of Christian theology and, and early church history and well, not just early church, church history in general. Um, it is really a fascinating topic as you see uh, the church really combating all sorts of ideas that kind of uh, fought for the soul of early Christianity. So um, that that's a very interesting topic. If, if you haven't really studied church history, it's not as boring as it might sound when you talk about, you know, oh, I got to study history. Church history is super, super exciting. All right. With that said, by the way, I'm going to slurp my coffee because I need caffeine. So give me one second. I'm so sorry. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. Okay. So um, the temptation to syncretize uh, went even as far back as the Old Testament, right? We, we don't even have to just stay on the New Testament. The Old Testament, you had this idea of, of, of syncretism, religious syncretism, right? Indeed, a large portion of the prophetic writings of the Old Testament were dedicated to the calling of, of the people of Israel back to the worship of Yahweh, the one true God. Right, so for, for they often fell into idolatrous worship, in, in which Baal and the Asherah became objects of devotion. These, no doubt, were clear examples of Israel forsaking their covenant with their God and running after false deities. Often doing so, check this out, while simultaneously worshiping Yahweh. The syncretism was clear. They not only worshipped other gods, they often did so alongside the worship 
of Yahweh. That is syncretism. And you can obviously see why this is not a good thing um, when we're talking about our commitment to God, our commitment to our covenant relationship with God. We, we, we cannot be living out this unfaithfulness uh, within that context. Now, within the New Testament context, syncretism was, was very widespread, largely due to um, the Hellenization, which, uh, which was brought about by the exploits of Alexander the Great and those who followed after him. If you're not familiar with Hellenization, you don't remember your global history. Hellenization deals with the, uh, the spread of Greek culture and language throughout the ancient world, right? This was usually associated with the conquest of Alexander the Great, who often syncretized, uh, uh, well, well he, he influenced other cultures that he conquered by spreading Greek concepts and ideas, and often that would have included the syncretization and mixture of religious perspectives and philosophies and things like that, okay? So very, very um, important, all right? Now, within the New Testament, Testament context, as I said, syncretism was very widespread due to this Hellenization process, right, the spread of Greek culture. And while Christianity, in its essence, forbade syncretism, right, given its exclusive nature, which was borrowed from its Old Testament roots, it was not immune to the, main, the many temptations to syncretize. There were a lot of temptations to adopt a lot of popular concepts um, in, in the ancient world. Now, apart from this, there were many heretical views which vied for the soul of, of the newborn Christian faith. And many of these views were distortions of Christian truth, which involved additions of Greek philosophical thought and other falsities, which added to the confusion which syncretism really brings. Okay, Now, while the early church fathers, you know, these very influential early Christians who you know, produced writing and, and they, they um, in many cases kind of passed on the tradition of the apostles in some sense, uh, while the early church fathers fought hard, against the rise of syncretistic manifestations of Christianity. This did not prevent such manifestations to pose a great threat to Christian truth. For example, um, the early church had to contend with uh, Manichaeanism. Or I, always, I always get this wrong. Manichaeism, okay, or Manichaeism, I think that's how you say it, um, which was a sort of dualistic philosophy which saw the physical world as evil. And this, this is a, 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 was a common idea to Greek thinking. Right, but it wasn't common to the Jewish mindset, namely that, that the physical world was was evil and the spiritual is good. Right, this kind of very much Greek understanding, and this was adopted and syncretized, um, you know, within certain aspects of what we would quote call Christianity. We wouldn't call it Christianity because the views that manifested from this obviously denied core essentials. But you see the influence there of something like Manichaeism. And um, the early church also had to contend with a view known as Docetism, which was a view that denied that Jesus had a physical body. Now, notice the Greek underpinnings of this view. Remember, for the Greeks that, that of this particular you know, philosophical stripe, the material world was evil, and it was the spiritual that was considered good. Indeed, death for many Greeks was the liberation of the soul from the prison of the body. Notice that, that negative connotation, the word prison, right? The, the soul is trapped. This runs contrary to the biblical conception of the material world in general and the material body more specifically. In fact, docetism, this is, I think this is really fascinating, docetism, and if you're interested in studying this, docetism is D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M, docetism, may have very well been the view which John wrote about, calling it antichrist teaching. How did, how did John define Antichrist? Okay, this is very interesting. 
I ask people all the time, uh, which book in the of the Bible mentions the word Antichrist the most? Which book in the Bible mentions the word Antichrist the most? And 99.9% of the people I ask always give the same answer. Well, in the book of Revelation, it appears in Revelation. Well, well, interestingly enough, if you do a word study, the word Antichrist in the book of Revelation, it appears zero times. The word Antichrist appears zero times in the book of Revelation. The only two books of the Bible in which the word Antichrist appears is First and Second John. And interestingly enough, John was the one who wrote Revelation. I know there's some debate there. I think there's good evidence that John wrote uh, uh, the book of Revelation. But be that as it may. Um, but notice you have the author of First and Second John using the word Antichrist, and then John writing the book of Revelation and doesn't mention the word Antichrist at all. I think that's a very side, an interesting side note. However, um, as I said before, docetism may have very well been the view which John wrote, wrote about um, in 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 first and second John. Okay, so, so think about this: How did John define antichrist? He says, "For many deceivers have gone out into the world; those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist." Second John one seven. The church also had to, you know. Uh, Think about this. Antichrist was associated with the denying that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. You see the 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 Greek philosophical underpinnings of that of that idea. Remember, Jesus was was considered a, a righteous man, okay, and he was considered a good man by many people. Yet. Because the material world is evil, Jesus could not have been material. He had to have been spiritual. And so, in a sense, Jesus appeared to have a physical body, when in reality, he was a spirit. This is what the Docetists believe. There are even some uh, writings which refer to Jesus walking on the beach with his disciples, but he didn't leave footprints in the sand, right? Because he was not really physical, even though he appeared to be that way, okay? John is calling this idea Antichrist teaching. Right. Because Orthodox Christianity, biblical Christianity affirms not just the deity of Christ, but the true humanity of Christ as well. Jesus was born um, with a body that um, we, we do believe in the incarnate. I mean, Christmas just ended. Uh, we believe in the incarnation that God became flesh. John 1 1 in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. John 1 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We affirm. We affirm the physicality of Jesus. And of course, because he was physical, he could also be nailed to a cross and die on behalf of sinners. So that's a very, very important aspect. It's wrapped up into the nature of the gospel itself, which, again, you can see this was one of the many threats that early Christianity had to contend with. And uh, they had to uh, fight the urge to syncretize and adopt these false views. Okay. Um, well, the church also had to contend with, with a view called Neoplatonism, uh, which was uh, a view which really constituted an intentional effort to combine elements of Christian thought with Platonic philosophy and Oriental dualism. Now, we, when we refer to Platonic philosophy, we're referring to the philosophy of Plato. Okay, and I won't give you a whole philosophical history here, but Plato was a very inf influential philosophical thinker. And, of course, many of his views um, were picked up by some early Christians and uh uh, there was there was influence there, okay, and the Christian Church had to really um, defend um, 
biblical truth as there were many attempts to syncretize Christianity with um, other philosophical and religious uh, perspectives. I mean, think about it. The very history of the great creeds of Christendom, uh, you know, the, 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 the famous historical creeds which solidified certain aspects of, of doctrinal disputes, the very history of the great creeds of Christendom encapsulate the struggle against syncretism, if you think about it. The great creeds were, were produced in response, many times, in response to false teaching and sought to protect Christian orthodoxy from the threat of syncretism. The modern Christian, this is, if I could boil down as I kind of wrap things up here, the modern Christian, that, that means you, that means me, that means the church today, the modern Christian is not immune to this threat. Okay? As the body of Christ, we're to stand firm uncompromisingly to God's word and avoid mixing the thought categories of darkness with the thought patterns of the light of God's word. We might not be fighting docetism today. We might not be fighting Manichaeism, Manichaeism today. We might not be fighting Neoplatonism today. But we are definitely fighting various philosophical constructs that are making their way into the church and this is why it's so vitally important that the Christian is grounded in the Word of God. That The Word of God is that which we use to test all things. The Bible tells us to test all things, to cling to what is good, right? And to flee from that which is evil. And so we, we want to be very careful. I mean, this is kind of a good, you know, I don't know if you guys do New Year's resolutions or whatever, but <laughs> I think look coming into this new year, I think it's a good reminder. And uh, perhaps maybe we could ask ourselves this year, how can I this year think more biblically, right? Can we recognize syncretism when we have fallen victim to it? Or are we so blinded? Are we so neglecting of the word of God that we cannot recognize when unbiblical thought categories have seeped into our thinking? I think that's an important question to ask as we continue to seek to be conformed into the image of Christ. All right, well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, for those of you who have been uh, downloading this podcast, uh, please share it. If you think other people might benefit from this, it would um, uh, it would be great if you could share it. Um, it would be super helpful if anyone who is really enjoying uh, the podcast, if you guys can write a positive review on iTunes. I think that kind of affects, you know, uh, you know, search issues, like when someone's looking for a, an apologetics podcast, you know, if you get good reviews, I think the podcast pops up there and other people could avail themselves of this uh, material. So if you found it, if you find this helpful and you like it, uh, write a good review and um, and share it with others. All right. Well, that is it for this episode. I hope you guys uh, find this stuff useful. God bless and bye bye. Thank you very much for listening to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. Uh, if you have any questions um, that you would like me to cover in a podcast episode, uh, please email them to me to revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Also, we very much um, appreciate your prayers, and if you wish to support Revealed Apologetics financially, uh, you can by doing so. Um, we have a, a PayPal account set up. Uh, you can um, uh, help us out financially um, at paypal.me slash revealed apologetics paypal.me slash revealed apologetics and that would be uh, greatly appreciated if, if you were able to help out financially if not um, we we definitely would appreciate uh, prayer um, and um, once again if, if you have any questions uh, that you'd like me to cover revealed apologetics at gmail.com
www.thepurpose.com. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and God bless. Thank you.